Well, good morning. I'm uh, going to give everybody permission to have uh, what we're going to call spring break righteousness. Spring break worship righteousness. Uh, so if you're here, uh, you're one of the few, the proud, the elect. Um, I'm joking, obviously. Uh, but thanks for being here. Uh, the service on Friday will be something new for us. We've never had one, obviously, uh, but we're looking forward to it. We're excited about that, and obviously we look forward to a week from today, Resurrection Sunday, uh, and look forward to seeing all of you back there. Uh, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Matthew, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, all of you, if you received a worship folder, should have gotten an insert. On one side is the passage for today, and on the other side is an outline. We're in Matthew 7. We're getting toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We'll actually finish the Sermon on the Mount next week uh, on Resurrection Sunday, uh, and then move on to Matthew 8. So those of you who are, man, I thought they were never going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, eventually we are. Eventually we're going to get there. Uh, But hopefully for you, I know it's been for me, very profitable series. Uh, to really get into in depth some of the things that Jesus has talked about in that uh, that sermon uh, as we have worked through it. Uh, It's very familiar, and that tends to be the problem with a lot of this material in the Sermon on the Mount. It's very very familiar to a lot of us. We've heard it many, many times. Uh, But the old phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, I think can come into play if we're not careful because we do get so used to hearing this stuff uh, that it can lose its power, can lose its impact, can lose its punch. Uh, So uh, hopefully it's been profitable for you. We're going to read together, or I'm going to read to you, I should say, from Matthew 7, verses 13 to 20. Again, it's printed in your worship folder. It will also be on the screen behind me. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, This is God's word. As, As I mentioned, we're in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, or on the book of Matthew, and we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, I should say. And Jesus, in this sermon, has been giving us a picture of what life is like in the kingdom of God. He's been describing for us a way of living radically different from the way we are used to living or the way we usually think about living. He's describing a person whose righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes. But I want to be careful. It's not a legalistic morality that we tend to think of when we think of good people or, you know, pious people. This is a complete and total transformation of character. He's showing us 
The way of love comes through faith. So I want you to remember, as we continue, we're talking about a new way of living. It's a new way of living that's only possible with a new heart. So you can't just work yourself into living like this or trying really hard to learn how to live like this. It requires a new heart. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. So you've got to experience the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ first. Then you can begin to see the kingdom. Then you can begin to understand and possess the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and the scribes. So if you look on the the other side of the insert, you'll see the outline there. First of all, why only two? Why are there only two ways? The title of the sermon you'll see is Two Ways and Two Trees. Uh, And next week, as we get to uh, Easter, Drew's going to talk about the the two claims that are made uh, and the two builders. So there's two ways and two types of trees. How does knowing his audience help us understand this? Why does Jesus go to, to this subject here at the end of the sermon? You've got to understand what's come before to help you get why, why, why does he go this direction as he concludes the sermon. Secondly, what's the, the acid test, the tree and its fruit? How is that a helpful illustration for understanding the Christian life and also warning us about how we might understand the Christian life to, to look? And then lastly, self-examination. <clears throat> how does it call us to reflect on our journey? What, what road are you on? What, what fruit are you bearing? What you think may be good fruit may not be good fruit. Or what you think may be bad fruit may not be bad fruit. Trying to work through all of those kinds of things. So first, why only two? If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, those of you with, with Bibles uh, can do that. There's also Bibles in the pew. But Matthew 5, 1, Matthew says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain... And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he begins teaching. Right? So he is initially speaking to his disciples, but the broader audience there is the crowd. And all of these people would have heard the entire sermon. Throughout the sermon, Jesus has been describing two ways of living, two ways of relating to him and the law, actually. He's presenting us with two pictures of obedience. One is external, moralistic, and very shallow, but very self-righteous. The the one way keeps the Ten Commandments, tithes, praise, fasts. And these types of people are certainly religious. This is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. But he's been contrasting that with another way. A way of obedience that's internal, thoughtful, that's transformative from the inside, from the core of our hearts. It changes the way we handle conflict, the way we handle lust, marriage, the way we think about our words, the way we respond to being wronged. It's praying, giving, and fasting in secret. It's being careless in the care of God. It's not condemning, but speaking the truth in love. Now, if you've been here, all of that should ring a bell because... That's kind of the last couple of chapters. Jesus is describing all the way through the sermon what the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees looks like. And so last week we mentioned the golden rule is a restatement of the law of love. Jesus 
is leading us into a life of incarnation. But make no mistake, it's extremely difficult. How many of you tried this past week to incarnate with somebody? How hard was that? Um, It's a tough way of living that he calls us to. And so as he finishes the sermon, or as he comes to the conclusion of the sermon, he reiterates and summarizes once again, there are only two ways to live. There's two roads to travel. There's two types of trees. There's two confessions. There's two types of builders. And so this week we're looking at two of these, and next week Drew will look at the other two. And what we've got to see is Jesus is challenging us to face the reality that following Him is filled with opposition and persecution. He says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. It's the word from which we get our English word tribulation. Is the word he uses there for, for hard. He calls us to enter the narrow gate. Verse 13. He begins this final section by making a call, making an invitation to his listener. Enter through the narrow gate. If you want to live this kind of life, if this kind of life appears attractive to you or sounds good to you or man, you know, I want to learn how to live like that. Then he finishes or he begins to finish the sermon from verse 13 all the way to the end of chapter 7 with the word enter. All who are listening are being called into a life of discipleship. It's not simply enough to just sit and listen. You notice that? I mean, he doesn't just, he didn't give this whole sermon to the people who are listening so they can sit there and go, wow, ooh, ah. Isn't that nice? He, he calls them to action. He calls them to move. Get up. Enter. In the film, uh, League of Their Own, how many of you have seen this? It's old, but most of you probably have. There comes a point at which Dottie, who's the catcher for the women's baseball team, uh, right before the big championship game quits. Right? You remember this? And... When her coach, who's Tom Hanks, goes to her, she explains to her coach, he says, what happened? She says, it just got too hard. And he replies, hard? It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. The hard is what makes it great. And you and I have experienced this in various things. I mean, there are things that you and I work to accomplish that the working through to accomplish them is very hard. My wife, Jamie, uh, a couple of weeks ago, ran her second half marathon, which, for those of you who don't know how long that is, that's 13 miles of running on purpose. (laughs) I mean, the only only way I'm going to go 13 miles is in the Ford Focus with the accelerator pressed down using good old-fashioned gasoline. And I often say to my wife, why, why would you want to run 13 miles on purpose? For fun. And you should, the the training, you know, every night coming home from the training, whether it's running three miles or 10 miles, oh, my knee is killing me. I've got to ice it. Oh, I need some Advil. James, this, this is fun for you? What kind of sick sense of humor or 
you know, fun do you have? But it goes back to what Tom Hanks' character said. The hard is what makes it great. Because at the end of that half marathon, the look on her face says it all. The sense of accomplishment. Not just that, it's the process by which she gets there that makes it even sweeter on the other side. For us, the most profound example of this is in John 6, or at least it is for me. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then he begins to teach them about what true food and true drink are. He calls them to follow him, not just hang out for free meals. Remember, he gets to the end of John chapter 6, and he says, you know, some of you were just, you just stuck around because you got a free meal. But now I'm going to tell you, what, what does it really mean for you to come and follow me? And toward the end of John chapter 6, the disciples say to Jesus, how hard this teaching is. And he says, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Unless a supernatural work in the heart takes place, no one will want to go down that road, follow that path. And the result, says John, the very end of chapter 6. He says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And I wonder how, how easy, how broad, how wide you and I might think the way is. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. Because the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. John 6 is a great illustration of that because you have 5,000, over 5,000 people probably, at the beginning following him. He feeds them supernaturally. He begins to teach, and slowly, bit by bit by bit, the crowds begin to recede. And by the end of the chapter, it's just he and the twelve. In the end, according to Jesus, there are only two ways. The narrow way is a road that's restrictive, so to speak, but it is the way to life. The wide way, the broad road, is a road that's roomy. Lots of space on that road, but it's a way to destruction. But he doesn't stop there. Notice, he goes on to describe two trees Verse 15, beware, he says, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Watch out for them. Those who claim to be speaking God's words, those who claim to be doing religious things, because what they are on the outside is not who they really are on the inside. What they show you on the outside is not who they are on the inside. In fact, Jesus calls them ravenous wolves. And the sense in the Greek really is blackmailers. Every motive behind what they do is self-centered and self-focused. They do nice things so that everyone else will owe them. In fact, that God might even owe them. And so these people do the right things live the the right kind of way so they can build up some sort of spiritual resume and at the end they can say to God, look at my resume. God, you owe me life. You owe to give me good things. 
You owe me heaven. And the scary thing, the frightening thing, as you read through this, is Jesus is describing trees that, to the naked eye, are the same. I mean, think about this. He doesn't say good trees bear fruit and bad trees don't. That would make it pretty easy to tell, be pretty easy to discern. Okay, this person has fruit, this person doesn't. But there's something subtle and frightening about the illustration. The trees look the same. They both produce fruit. Only one tree produces poison and the other produces beautiful, rich fruit. But here's the thing. Listen. What distinguishes them is what's on the inside. The two trees, the two paths, describe two modes of spirituality. So how do you know what fruit is being produced? What's the fruit look like? We'll apply this to the rest of the sermon. Everything Jesus has said previously. Jesus has been describing one way of living and contrasting it to another way. On the surface, the trees may look very similar. The people that the trees are illustrating may look very similar. Both obey the Ten Commandments, both fast, pray, give to the needy, but one group is doing it for themselves. If you go back to chapter 6, if you again, if you have a Bible, go back to chapter 6 and, and look at verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They do this that they may be praised by others. The word there is that they may receive honor, glory from other people. And so the reason they are doing these things is to receive glory from other people. But not for God, for themselves. But the other way of living, Jesus describes, does these things for God alone and His sake. One commentator said, your fruit will always tell on you. Right? You can't hide it, at least forever. The difference between these two groups of people is their motivation. You can be religious and never pursue the glory of God, only your own. But a Christian is someone who finds pleasure in obeying and doing good deeds for the sake of God's glory, not theirs. Now think about this just for a second uh, by way of illustration. You, you may pass by, for example, uh, two trees on the way to work every day. They look the same. There are no observable differences. Until the time of blooming, when you see their fruit. In fact, as you drive by, you see over time, uh, wow, they, they look the same. And then one day, maybe you stop, you get out of your car, you walk over to the trees. The closer you get to them, the further examination you make of them, you start to see they are different. Their fruit is different. And so, one's fruit might be ripe, the other's rotten. Uh, again, living in Florida, being around orange groves, an orange tree can have oranges all over it, look very, very ripe. And yet, 
on the inside, the roots, the root systems, the, the internal stuff of the tree is diseased. And so you pull that orange off the tree, you open it up, and what's inside? Nothing. It's dried out. It's rotten. It still might be hanging there, the appearance of being ripe. But really, when you get underneath, down into the roots, you begin to see, wow, this fruit is not ripe at all. In fact, if I was to eat the fruit, it would be poison. The type of fruit and the health results because of what goes on inside the tree. That's what produces the fruit. There's an inner fullness of health and peace that overflows into the fruit that you see on the outside. The fruit doesn't bring the life, but it is the result of life on the inside. And so the acid test for us as we examine, well, let's be honest, each other. It's time. Fruit is not instant. Sometimes it takes a good long while to see and recognize the fruit on the tree. It doesn't happen overnight. Fruit takes a long time. And so you and I, as we examine, as we encourage one another, as we call one another to account for the things in which we see and don't see in our lives, calls us for, calls for patience. We've got to be patient as we look at fruit and recognize oftentimes there's fruit there. But it might be poison. It might be rotten. And what we think is real, beautiful, good fruit is not, in fact. But again, it goes back to the motivation. It goes back to the two types of people Jesus is describing. And one produces fruit that's going to look very differently than the other. Because one is doing all of their good, nice, religious things for themselves. Not for God and His glory, but for their own. So, we're left with a question as we get to self-examination. If there's two paths, two types of trees, where do we fall? What's sobering is both of these scenarios of Jesus have judgments and sentences involved. There's a judgment made on those who follow the path that's wide and broad. And what is it? Where does that path go? Jesus says it leads to destruction. What happens to the tree, the, the, tree, the diseased tree that doesn't bear good fruit? Verse 19. It's cut down and thrown into the fire. So how do you know? How do you know you're entering through the narrow gate? How do you know what kind of fruit you are generating? Well, let me say this. First, Jesus is the narrow gate. He is our gate. The one who by his life and death makes it possible to enter and begin following the way of life. He was sacrificed outside the camp, outside the gate. Hebrews 13, verse 12 says, He had to suffer reproach outside the gate of the camp so that we could be welcomed into it. All other religions teach If you follow a certain path, then you're going to reach a destination. You're going to arrive at a gate. And then they're going to let you in based on the path that you've taken and all that you've done on that path to reach that particular gate. 
Christianity is altogether different. Christianity teaches that the true path, the path leading to life and freedom, can only be accessed through the gate who is Jesus. You can only get on this path through Jesus. So because of Jesus, you can enter and gain acceptance, and then you follow the path to life. So you are accepted first, then you begin to obey, produce good deeds, produce beautiful fruit. All other religions say, no, you've got to produce the beautiful fruit and the good deeds first. You've got to get on the right path first. Then you might, if you work hard enough, if you try long enough, you'll get to that particular gate that is the reward. But not only that, not only is Jesus the gate by which we enter into this way. Jesus' love of His Father's will produced a life of beautiful fruit. In John 12, He says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The healthy tree's fruit doesn't remain on the tree. It falls off. The seeds get spread around and get planted, grow, and continue to produce more fruit at least out in in kind of the natural wild environment. That's how it works. The fruit of Jesus' life was multiplied because of His death, resurrection, and ascension. And the reality is this. You and I can't ever hope to produce the kind of fruit He's describing until we are tied to Him. In John 15, He says, Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A tree isn't healthy unless it's tapped into the greater vine. So if you and I think of ourselves as branches and this is the root, he's the vine. Unless we're tapped into Him, unless we are abiding in Him, connected to Him, we will never produce the kind of fruit that He calls us to, that He says is possible when you abide in Him. And so, unless you're tapped into the greater vine, the fruit of your life is going to show evidence to the contrary. The question is, how do you and I try to produce good fruit apart from abiding in Him? And we tend to do that through religion, through doing the right thing. Well, how do we abide in Him? What does that mean to abide in Him? It means we're connected, we're related to Him. I want to give you an illustration. If, if I was to ask you about your marriage, or say you were to ask me, tell me about your marriage with Jamie. What's it like? And I said, Well, we had a great wedding 11 years ago. No, no. Tell tell me about what's going on now. Well, our wedding was fantastic. Okay? You're not really saying that. You're not telling me what your relationship is like now. You start to wonder. Could you define a marriage as healthy if the husband and wife only spoke to one another once a week? What would that be like? Those of you who are married, you know, if you only spoke, literally, you live in the same house with your spouse, but you only spoke to them face-to-face words once in seven days, what would that feel like? 
what kind of relationship would you have? It would stink. It'd be terrible. And you and I know this. If we want to build a relationship with a friend or a spouse, how do you do that? You spend time with them. You talk to them. You get related to them. You get more and more connected to them. But you and I are, for some reason, we would never treat or foster a relationship, cultivate a relationship with a human being the way that we think we can with God. You know, you and I think that we can be connected to Him uh, once a week. Uh, right now, for many of us. It's, it's an hour and a half a week. How in the world can you build a relationship or stay connected to a person if all you ever do is talk to them once a week? The reality is you can't. Without speaking to Jesus, without communing with Him or reading of Him, we will not be abiding in Him. And thus the, the fruit of our lives will turn into works that are only for us. It will turn into us building and building on our own record rather than because we have His record producing the fruit of good deeds for His glory and His glory alone. But Jesus says, a health, healthy tree can't bear bad fruit and a diseased tree can't bear good fruit. As if to say, if your life is not tied to Him, if you're not abiding, then you are incapable of producing the fruit that proves otherwise. Your fruit will always tell on you. Jesus says as much in this passage. You will recognize them by their fruits. We have to stay connected. We have to work to abide. Boy, that is hard. The gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life. But the good news is Jesus has given us His Word. He's given us prayer conversation to talk with him he's given us each other his body the church to help us continue to cultivate the habit of abiding in him so where are you tapped in where or in whom are you abiding you've got to answer that question because unless you are abiding in him inevitably your fruit will be poisonous fruit What is the fruit that the Spirit produces? Do you know? What's the fruit the Spirit produces? Love. I heard somebody say it. Love. What else does it produce? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Gentleness. Self-control. That is the kind of fruit of someone who is abiding in the vine. And that is the kind of fruit that when it's born out into our lives produces beautiful works that are done just for the sheer worth of the other person. Just for the sheer sake of the other person. I do something not because I'm going to get something out of it, but simply because the other person is there. Because the need exists. And so... As we finish, what I want to do is pray that God would, by His Spirit, make us into a people who cling to Him, who abide in Him, people who rest 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ for security and that that would produce beautiful fruits of good deeds to others in our congregation, in our city, and in our world for God's glory. And so let's pray that that He would make us people who live like that in light of what we've read here this morning. Lord Jesus, we praise You and thank You that by Your death, by the beautiful works of Your life, by Your earning salvation for us, uh, we can, as we abide in You, as we tap into the power that You give us by Your Spirit, we can also produce a life of beautiful works. Works, works done on behalf of others. Works done as we, as we see and are sensitive to the needs of others. And I pray that by Your Spirit, more and more You would mold us into a people who are conformed into Your image. Whose fruit is not selfish, selfishly motivated good deeds done for the sake of blackmail and taking advantage of one another and building a resume, but are done simply because we have experienced your love for us and that in turn has produced a life that is self-sacrificial and overflows with the life-giving spirit that lives within us. Father, I pray you would produce this in us for your glory in our city and in our world. And to that end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Amen. Thanks to uh, David and Lauren who are stepping in, for Terry who's not with us today. Uh, I want to reiterate what Ron said about Good Friday. Uh, Please come and join us, 6 o'clock. I don't know why we felt the need to add the adjective short in there. Uh, You know, if the Holy Spirit moves, we might be here for three hours. Who knows? Um, But in all seriousness, please come. Uh, You're more than welcome. And then come and join us Sunday as well uh, at 9.30. Um, what we just sang, the unshakable, unchangeable, unstoppable God, if you tap into that, if you are abiding in that, then rest assured, the fruit and the beauty of your life will overflow into powerful, powerful, beautiful, beautiful deeds uh, of mercy and grace to others. And that is the residue we want for our lives. Uh, And so as you go, take the promise of this benediction over you as a reminder of the power that's yours by the Spirit uh, and the blessing of God for you as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in His peace.